Key Biscayne Stories collects the history of our beautiful island. This is your host, Alejandro Cervalli, and I am a certified key rat for many, many years and counting. Join me and you will get to know your neighbors and their love for this slice of paradise we call home. So stay tuned, relax, and enjoy these great Key Biscayne Stories. Hello, Kibiscane and Key Rats. Welcome to another episode of Kibiscane Stories. I hope you're enjoying this new jingle, intro jingle that I just found. I'm very excited. I think it captures the essence of the key a little better. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. In this week's podcast, you will get to know KB resident Elsa Sanchez. Elsa is raising her family in the key and she's working for Nubo Travel, a luxury travel agency. Elsa is also the director at the U for You. Today we are talking university prep. The U for You offers free college assessments, workshops, guidance, and leverages a vast network of 800 plus universities around the world to help you find the university for you, the U for You. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, sign up to a newsletter, information in the show notes. Elsa, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? Hi, Alejandro. Thank you for having me. I'm great. How are you? Good. Thank you. I look forward to speaking about your Kibis Kane story and a couple of things that you've been working on that uh, I want, we want our guests to know. But before we get started, Elsa, so where are you originally from? I was originally born in Mexico. I had the fortune of moving around because of my dad's job. And we arrived in Kibis Kane in 1994. 1994. Mm-hmm. That was the first time that we came into Kibiscane, that we crossed the bridge for the first time. And it was just amazing to see coming from Mexico. And we never thought we were going to live in an island. Yeah, I was 17 years old and I was just about to enter my junior year. Can you share with us what you remember Kibiscane was like in 1995? First of all, I was just coming back from Vermont. So it was after being a year there. So it was a big shock, just the temperature temperature wise. And um, we were coming in with the realtors because we were looking for houses in Coral Gables at the beginning. And my brothers were not here yet. So it was just my mom and I and my dad. And we crossed that bridge and we started going into the island. And I was like, but this must feel like vacation all the time. Like everybody was so relaxed. We had cyclists, not as many as we do now. So um, we came into the island and it was, obviously it was a lot smaller. The park didn't exist. It was just two years after Andrew hit. So people were still very vulnerable and remembering Andrew. Um, there were a lot of buildings that did not exist at that time. Oceana was not there. The Ocean Club was not there. And there was, what was the name of the hotel that was right on the beach? Um, Sonesta? Sonesta, <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was the Sonesta. And everybody was just so friendly. And things that have changed is definitely, there's a lot more people here than I remember. Um, there weren't as many, there were a lot of people from Latin America, but not as like, I think it has shifted a little. 
So there weren't that many Mexicans. You could see Colombians, Cubans, um, Central Americans, and there weren't that many people from Spain. So I think that has changed in the last 20 years um, or 15 years, probably. And yeah, it was just everybody was on, on their bikes. Golf carts were not a mean of transportation in the island. We hadn't evolved as much. You would only see them at Crandon Park and that was it at the, at the golf course. So people were either walking, biking or in their cars. And we lived in Woodcrest Road and it was just from the beginning, we felt so welcome. And once my parents and I stepped foot on the island, we're like, okay, this is it. We don't care what you show us, we're gonna live here. And we used to go to school, which was far away. So it was like a 45 minute drive each day, one way and then 45 minutes back. We didn't mind. It was, it was great. It was completely opposite to what we were used to. So it was a great experience. What were the places that you used to hit up back in the day in the key? Well, first of all, yeah. I mean, Sir Pizza was there and it still looks exactly the same. The chairs are the same. The tables are the same. The lamps. The lamps and the pizza. The pizza tastes exactly the same. And it's one of my favorite pizzas. Like, I love it. La Boulangerie was also there, which is also great. Um, The Yacht Club, but it didn't look like what it looks like now and we my brothers and I especially my not my youngest brother but the one that's just after me we used to go to the gym at the Esplanade mall and it still looks the same <laughs> so it's changed a little but we used to go to to the gym there and and yeah we would go since we were living in a house um we could go to the beach club which also still looks the same <laughs> And I love that, the fact that it does. And, and it was just amazing. I was coming from Vermont, but my, my brothers were coming from Mexico where we had to be very safe. And here there was just so much freedom. Like we had no idea that we could go on our bike everywhere to get ice cream, to get, and my mom was not after us. So it was amazing. It really was a lot of fun. And, and these places have, have always remained in my heart. Going back to what you mentioned before about coming into the key, you know, a lot of, yes. as a Kiwi scanner, I don't consider, you know, once you cross the toll, it's like, you're already, you're already home. It's like a long driveway. Yeah. You know, people yeah. that don't know how it works, they, they consider those 10, 15 minutes as, as, as an, as an extra step, like an additional yeah. thing you have to do. It's like, no, no, no. It's like, once you hit the toll, you're in. Yes. And the feeling is amazing. And I don't have to say for, I got married and I had to move away and I was here for seven years. And then I was away for seven, for 14 years. And I always wanted to come back and bring my kids here and give them the opportunity to experience what I had experienced. And in December of 2014, we came back uh, with the boys and that feeling of crossing the, the, the toll, the only difference is that we didn't have to, there was no one there working at the toll and we didn't have to put 75 cents or 50 cents. Throw the coins. I remember throwing the coins. Which, yes, remember? And everyone was like, everybody would throw the coins and then speed up. And, or if you didn't have change, you had to talk to the person who were always super nice. Um, but just getting that feeling of crossing that toll again 
and being a resident in Key Biscayne, it's something that it's indescribable. Like I was like, oh my God, I'm home. I'm back here. And showing the kids who were coming back from Mexico City, which was even more dangerous at the time than when the first time that we came here. Um, and they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that they could just grab their bikes and go see their friends. And at the beginning, my youngest did not want to move here. He was like, why are you doing this to me? And now when I ask him, he's like, this was the best decision ever. Like he has the best group of, of friends and he just loves every minute that he's here. So it was great to experience that same feeling of we crossed the tall, this is home and seeing it on my kids' eyes is just great. It's really a great feeling. So you mentioned that you, you lived out of the key for a little bit and you came back. What, what made you guys come back? Is it just a desire to live in the key or is it job related or? Well, I, when I left, I always wanted to come back. The thing is that um, my, my husband was at the time was Swiss and he got a promotion. So we had to move to Costa Rica. And then after being in Costa Rica, we had to go to Venezuela. And after Venezuela, we moved to Mexico. While we were in Mexico, we decided to get divorced and he moved to Colombia. So Mexico City is really complicated. So I said to him, you know what? Why don't you just bring me back to where you found me? <laughs> Let's just do a full circle <laughs> and just bring me back. You're going to live in Colombia anyway. So you really don't care. You still have to take a flight in order to come and visit the kids. So just bring me back to, to the States. And I have a better possibility of finding jobs that will allow me to still take care of the kids. It will help me feel more comfortable and safe. And we are all American citizens. So it's really going back home. And one of my brothers was still here in Miami. So after it took some convincing, but after I was able to convince him, a, he agreed. And that's why we moved back. And yeah, it has been amazing. So it was probably emotionally related. It was an opportunity that presented itself. And also it was job related because I needed to find where and how to work here in the States. And it was going to be a lot easier after 14 years of being an expat to find job in, a job in Miami that would suit my needs. So yeah, it was a little bit of everything. Perfect. So that's a perfect segue to, to what are you doing now? I know that you have a couple of projects under your belt that you're working on. Um, you're working with universities and one is a luxury travel um, agency. So which one would you like to start with first? The U for You, which is the university for you, but the name of the company is the U for You, was based in Panama and I'm the director for Mexico and the US. We represent 800 universities around the world. And uh, we specialize in undergrad, masters, summer programs, and languages. And the best part is that all of our assessment and services are completely free of charge to the parents and the kids. They don't have to pay us a cent through the whole process. And we help them with applications and visas and student accommodations and anything that they need in order to send their kids away. And then Nuba Travel, I'm a luxury travel consultant, and it's similar in the way that there's a lot of, it's very one-on-one, uh, -on -one, personalized. We don't do anything that is not um, specially created for our clients. We create, we try to do everything, we try to meet all their needs 
and um, it's everything custom made and it's luxury travel all around the world. So it's a, it's a company based in Spain and uh, the office in Miami is just opening. So I saw the opportunity and um, it's an amazing project. It really is. And, and we have incredible um, trip opportunities for anyone who's interested. So yeah, it's, it's a couple of different things, but it's also customer service related and it's very personal, which is what I love. So you for you, let's talk about you for you um, for a little bit first. You mentioned you do free assessments, but it's also, as we were talking in our pre-recording, a pre-podcast conversation, um, that it is like college prep, right? Correct. So I have, I have kids and I need guidance in how to do, how to prep for college, right? How to apply for colleges and all that jazz. How does that look like? If, I'm, if my kid is ready, when is that search supposed to happen? I'm in high school. When am I supposed to be looking for college opportunities? Well, that is an amazing question. I thank you for that because that's the first, the first step. And I love it when kids start junior year and especially the second part of, un- of junior year. Before that, it's really not worth it because you are not, we're not going to be focused enough and not only kids, but humans can change opinions from one day to the other. So maybe what you liked in January is not what you like in in June, especially at this age. So if we start talking in the second part of their junior year is perfect, especially with the kids that are very focused and already know what they want to study. For the kids who don't know what they want to study, we have workshops, free workshops, that are called a mapping your um, purpose. And it's more, it's instead of just telling them, okay, you're good at this or you're good at that and you should study this or you should study that. What we do is we give them the tools for them to be able to decide based on information on what careers are available at the moment, which ones are gonna disappear. Do you like to be in big groups, small groups? Are you a leader, are you a follower? Uh, do you like math? Do you like science? Do you like arts? Are you more of a talker? Are you more of a listener? So we do this and and these workshops are completely free as well. And we have them every three months, more or less. Um, And those are for the kids who don't really know where or what they want to study. And the initial assessment, what we do is we we do a either a one-on-one or now with the pandemic, it has been a Zoom on one with the parents and the kids. Sometimes it's just the kids, it's up to them. That's good. And what we do is we ask them first three questions, right? The first two questions are usually directed to the kid or the student. And the third question is usually directed to the parents. So we ask them first, what is it that you want to study? Where would you like to study? Because a lot of kids or students, want, they're like, okay, well, the U.S., Okay, but would you be open to study in Spain or in the Netherlands, in Switzerland or in Sweden? Maybe you like China or Australia, New Zealand. So there, there's, with this generation, what's amazing is that most of them, what they answer is, you know what? Yes, I'm open to it. And it's amazing to see how their face changes when you start telling them that they have all of these options. The second question that we, well, the first one is what is it that you want to study? The second one is where? And the third one is we ask the parents, what is the budget? What is it that you put aside 
for them to go to college. And when it's just the student on the call, sometimes they're like, no, I have no idea. We're like, no, not to worry. So what we do is we give them a range of options. So if we start this, the second semester of junior year, what we do on that first call is we send them the information about the universities based on destination and what they want to study subject, right? If they have a budget, we give them a range of universities within that budget, either top or and, and anything underneath that, right? And then when they do that, they have the whole summer and we give them the whole summer to just look at every single website that we send them, every single um, sheet that we created for them comparing universities based on what they told us. And then when we come back, that's when the work starts. So then what we do is once we give them all of this information, they can work through it during the summer. And we tell them, look at the city, look at the place, go on, a, on an app and check the temperatures during the year. So we give them this kind of homework for the, for the summer. And we also tell them, start planning your personal statement. We give them the guidelines for their personal statement, start working on your curriculum. And if you already like have the time and you have your teacher's information, send them an email and ask for two recommendation letters because this is when teachers might have the time to write them. Or if you're working during the summer, make sure that when you finish working, ask for the person that you worked for, your boss or your mentor, for your um, letters of recommendation. The process starts until October, more or less. So between August and October, we start getting like all the information from them, recommendation letters, their personal statements, their CV, um, passports, etc. cetera. Um, we tell them about the workshop so that they can participate. And then in October, when they receive after the first quarter, which is like the end of October, beginning of November, when they get their first set of grades, that's when the application process starts. And we give them the different options. And once they've received their conditional letters, and they're conditional because they will be unconditional until they graduate. So sometimes they're like, oh my God, I'm so disappointed. I got a conditional letter. That's normal. You need to graduate. That's going to be one of the biggest conditions. So it's going to be a conditional until you finally graduate. And then in the, in the first, the second part of their senior year, we help them with student accommodation, visas. We get them all the information that they require, especially now with COVID, all the requirements for entering the country that they're going to go to. Um, sometimes we do, it used to be one-on-one, -on -one, but now someone one we do all the packing like we show them what to pack and how to pack their bags uh, we help them with cooking lessons and we give them all of these tools mm -hmm. and we always tell them we tell the mothers look if you want to help them start senior year teach them how to cook how to clean how to do their clothes how to iron how to everything because they are going to need this once they move so, I love it. And yeah, they do. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And all of these workshops are completely free. We just want them to be as ready as possible. And then off they go. That's awesome. I want to touch base on two things that you mentioned that caught my, my attention. I like when you said disappearing careers. I think that, you know, no one told me 
to think about the career that I'm studying and how that's going to be four years after, or if I try to do something else like a master's, you know, and, and that's what I tell kids or, or friends that are going into college. I'm like, I need you to think about your career and what that means for years from now, because things, things are changing fast, you know? Yeah. So I don't know if you can expand on that, but that is something that really, really hit home. Not because I, I've suffered from that, maybe a little bit, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's something, it's something that you, that you don't think about when you go to college, like are my classes today going to serve me when I graduate? I know. Right. Yeah, that's 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 a huge thing right now because anything that can be replaced by a robot or a computer, it's something that is going to eventually disappear, or at least it's going to be harder to get a job. You're going to have to shine more. So, for example, lawyers are never going to disappear. Psychologists are never going to disappear. But if you wanted to study medicine, you have to think also if biomedicine would be something for you. Because a lot of surgeries now take place with machines. Mm. So you can be a doctor, but do you want to be what type of doctor? A gynecologist, babies are still going to be delivered the same way. But if you're going to be a surgeon or if you're going to be a neurosurgeon, you do have to think about opting it up a little. A financial consultant, data analysis is huge right now. Everything is based on data analysis. Facebook, Instagram, marketing is based on data analysis, projections, uh, how to invest, where to invest. Um, it, it really is important that you do think about that. Um, artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence was not big 20 years ago. It was starting, but it was not big. Now it's everything. And especially after this pandemic, we saw how we need to rely on machines for a lot of things. Um, I just saw the other day on Brickle, these little tiny robots that are going back and forth in the streets. And I think they're using them to deliver food. And oh. there are these like little tiny boxes. And I was like, oh my God, how did we get here? I don't remember the, who was the sponsor or what the name of the company was, but you have to think about all of that. Um, there's a lot of customer service careers that are, that are not going to be there for us anymore. Pilots, yes, we're gonna need pilots. Architectures and engineers, yes, those we're going to need. But if you don't know what you wanna study, you might wanna think of like where the future is going. Nobody knew that we were gonna not be able to go to the movies for so long. And now you can watch the movies that are coming out on the movies or in a platform where they, wherever they come out. So the people who worked at the movies or are still working at the movies, they don't have that much flow of people anymore. So half the people had to be laid off or more than half. So we give them tips on, okay, this is where we're going. These are the ones that are not disappearing. And these are the ones that are growing and are becoming more important. Teachers are not going to disappear, but teachers need to keep up. They have to get the kids ready. And I have a friend of mine whose daughter has, um, she teaches a class on financial intelligence. And it's teaching kids in high school how to manage their money when they go to college and how to make the best out of their student loans. It's called financial literacy the name of the class that she gave. 
you know how many people on social media complain about how they're not taught how to do these things in school, financial, basic financial things, bank, even taxes, all that kind of, they don't, they're not taught. I definitely do not have a class on that. I'll tell you that. Me too. When I found out, I was like, okay, can you teach me? And then we can teach my students, please. Because nobody taught me that either. And then suddenly you're in college and you have to learn to manage your finances. And then you graduate, you start a job and you, all of these responsibilities come up and you don't know how to manage your money and people don't save, they spend it all. So we try to help them and, and we're, trying to, we're trying to fusion with this girl to see if she can teach the students during their high school years so that they have some financial literacy before they graduate. Like that. That's awesome. So I know that we're running out of time and I have one more question yeah. for you. I, I understand is a misconception that people have when they think about sending their kids abroad, right? That when they analyze their budget, I know there's many variables, my students' grades, their dedication, the grants, many, depending if you stay in state, but mm-hmm. abroad, sometimes maybe they, people conceive abroad as, oh no, if, if we are struggling already here, abroad is not even a question right? Yeah. But I understand that that is not true. Correct. It is not true. Depending on what you want to study and where you want to go, there are a lot of variables. But Europe makes it very easy for kids to study. And public education is really affordable. And you don't need a European passport. It helps things because you don't have to ask for a visa. But the process is not overly impossible either. And we have universities that are top 150 in the world especially for engineering in the Netherlands, that if you have a European passport, you can pay 2,168 euros a year. If you don't have a European passport, tuition is going to be between 8,500 and 10,000 euros a year. That's roughly 13,000, between 13,000 and $15,000 a year, right? For a top education, especially in engineering. If you want to study architecture, you can do so in Italy, regardless of your nationality, you would pay 3,085 euros a year in a top 10 university. La Bocconi, which is an amazing university in Italy, top five in business and economics, 10,000 euros a year, it's private. So it gives you a lot of um, leeway in order to spread a little bit more the budget that the parents have and give the kids not only the opportunity to travel around Europe or to learn a third language if they decide to, but also it gives them peace of mind that they're going to be safe. It's hard to see them go, but it's completely worth it. Like it's, it's one of the best things about studying abroad. We have great opportunities in Canada. Um, Australia and New Zealand are not as cost-effective or affordable, but prices do change in Europe compared to the US. So if you're struggling or if right now that we just went through a pandemic, things didn't work out the way parents were wanted to work out and they give they want to give the kids the best opportunity available, studying in Europe is a great option. Spain, Italy, Austria, Germany, eh, Hungary, eh, Italy, eh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, uh, we have a university in Sweden that if you want to study math or science and you have a European passport, it's completely free. It's in a city called Lund. 
and it's it's top university for sciences. So there are a lot of things, and I think people just need more information. And sometimes we just focus on what we know. But I invite everybody to to really open themselves up and see what opportunities are out there, not just for the students, but also for the parents. I like this because it 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 opens the door to everyone for the people that are on a budget that really want to see what they can do, or it could be anyone, anybody in the range of budgets, you, what you're helping them do is maximize the impact of that money, whether along around the, the wishes of, of the child, right? You can, Correct. you can put someone in, in the best school, whatever they want, depending on their budget. If, if that's, if that was their goal. Exactly. And if they know exactly what they want to study, we can look for different places where they specialize like we have instituto marangoni which we have a there's an office here in miami there's there's a school here but we also have it in london we have it in shenzhen mumbai florence milan paris and and they can choose where they want to go and it's a top school for fashion designers fashion communication and fashion business like it really is amazing we have nava also in florence and we have different ones in, in Barcelona, like, and it gives them a world of opportunities and it doesn't have to be that expensive to send them. And living costs in Europe are, are not too expensive. Uh, transportation there, public transportation there is super cheap. So they don't have to buy a car. You don't have to pay for insurance. So it's really affordable. And it also gives the parents an excuse to visit Europe. If their, parents, if their kids are over there, they can also go. So, yeah, it, I think it's a win-win situation. I, I love the States. I, I went to school at the University of Miami, and it was an amazing school and an amazing experience. But if I would have known that there were other options for me, I could have given myself the opportunity to choose. This has been great. Now, I, I was going to let you go, but I have one more question. I have to ask this question to all Key Biscayne Stories yeah. um, guests. What is a perfect weekend for you in Key Biscayne before we go? Oh, if it's not raining, I just love going to the beach. We usually get, um, my husband and I, go and pick up a ceviche at um, Ceviche Bar, mm-hmm. and we take it to the beach. And we just sit there and we have a wonderful afternoon or having a drink at the Ritz and then just coming back through the beach is just amazing. We have beach access with the apartment that we live in, so it's perfect. But just relaxing. And I love all the restaurants that have opened up in Anesa, Clásica Victoria. Like, I think everybody does such a good job at maintaining this. Narbona was an amazing addition. So just... I really don't like leaving the islands. Just staying here, exercising, going to the beach and eating. It's its perfect for me. I love it. Elsa, thank you so much. This has been eye-opening for me on the educational side, but also I get to meet you and uh, get your Kibiskin story, for sharing Kibiskin story. Thank you, Alejandro. I really appreciate it. I, it has been a pleasure.